Hi, this is Mark Brady. I'm the pastor at Anchor Faith Church in Valdosta, Georgia. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. We believe it will bless you and minister to you. I get ready to receive a word from God. Go with me, if you will, to John chapter 15. I'm going to do my best to rein in uh, this series that we've been in uh, all month. We've been in this series on living aware, abiding in him, what it means to live aware of the presence of God. And I hope that these last few weeks have blessed you, have opened your eyes to some things, have helped you um, in this process of abiding and remaining. What I love about John 15, specifically uh, verses one through eight, is it's really walking us through what real discipleship looks like and really introducing us to what a life with our eyes set on heaven uh, can do for you, but also what you will do as a result of abiding in him, what you will become. And in verse one, I'm reading out of the, the CSB, it says, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. Every branch in me that does not produce fruit, he removes and he prunes every branch that produces fruit so that it will produce more fruit. We saw last week uh, the power and the purpose of pruning. And we remember we said this, that pruning is not for the purpose of punishment. God's discipline and God's correction is not for the purpose initially of punishment. If we would respond to the pruning, which comes by the word of God, in the next verse, he says, you're already clean. The word clean is the same word for prune. You're already clean. You're already pruned because of the word. So the word comes proactively to keep you out of situations where you would have to be punished or where you would have to Uh, be disciplined or corrected. But when the word comes, it comes to trim. It comes to uh, shear off things that are unnecessary. Remember we said that it is a removal process of getting rid of things. We say a lot of times, I wish I could hear God's voice. I wish I could hear him more clearly. I wish I could know his will. I wish I could know. You would find that it's not really a lot of adding to that you need to do but there's probably a lot of removal that needs to take place. And so this removal process is getting out the worthless things. You might find value, but does the king find value? You might think it's of importance, but does the king find it important? And this is what I know about God is he knows exactly what I need and he knows exactly what I don't need. So when he begins to address these things and he starts to say, hey, let me tweak on on that situation. Let me work on that. Let me prune this. Let me clip that. We must trust his ability to see our lives and what's necessary and allow him to address the things that are unnecessary. Can I get an amen? So we talked about pruning last week. I hope that that helped change our mindset and perspective of the discipline and the correction of God. Now you say, well, you know, doesn't God punish and doesn't God, uh, uh, you know, have to bring uh, harsh correction? Absolutely. You know, you can think of Jonah. Jonah received a punishment of being, uh, you know, swallowed up by a fish, right? But what came before that? The word. Go to Nineveh. Had we just followed the word? Had we just followed the word, right? The word comes to prune. I don't really feel like going to Nineveh. I didn't ask. I wasn't consulting your feelings. I wasn't taking a vote. Um, You know, this is the command of the Lord. And if we respond appropriately when the pruning comes, then we will will actually be able to uh, uh, circumvent the punishment aspect of God. Amen. And so let's value it uh, when it comes and address those things so we don't end up in those situations. So he says, uh, verse three, you are already clean 
because of the word I have spoken to you. The word cleans us. The word prunes us. The word keeps us alive. Remember, the pruning is for the, the purpose of producing more fruit. So we said you, you can either be cut on, you can allow him to cut on you, trim things off, or you'll be cut off. You can allow him to cut on, or you'll eventually be cut off because God follows the same principle. I know we don't like it when we put it this way, but it's the word of God. I'm reading it to you out of the book of John, the gospel of John. Not even God keeps things around that are unnecessary. Y'all remember the story, the illustration he gave of the tree that was rooted in a garden, right? But it wasn't producing fruit. So the master of the garden goes to the gardener and says, hey, get that thing up, uproot it. Now, the gardener was a little more patient. And the gardener said, hey, give me another year. And I'll dig around it. I'll take care of it. I'll fertilize it. And if in a year it's still not producing, then we'll get it out. Well, ultimately, what are we, what are we addressing? The lack of fruitfulness or the lack of producing fruit of the kingdom eventually removes us. It eventually removes us from the equation. It eventually says, you're not being effective toward the overall goal. So either become effective, become fruitful, or we're going to remove. Because this is what the master said. He said, he said this, it's taking up ground. Now, I know, no, I know nobody in this room wants to believe that your existence in your life is taking up ground. Anybody here just taking up space? Look straight ahead. Don't look at your neighbor. No, that's about as worthless of a feeling as you can have. I'm just taking up space. I'm just, in, I'm just existing. No, the king wants us fruitful for the kingdom of God. He wants us producing. The world needs to see the kingdom and needs to see kingdom results. I heard someone say this just this past week. It just came to my mind. Religion wants an explanation, but the kingdom gives demonstration. It's time to start demonstrating this book. We've talked about it long enough. It's time to start demonstrating. Amen. Okay, let's keep going. Verse four says, remain in me and I in you. Just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself, unless it remains on the vine, neither can you unless you remain in me. You know why that verse is so important to me is because it it shows the value for dependence. Because up to this point, he says, be fruitful. And the way I'm going to make you fruitful is by cutting on you. And if you're not fruitful, I'm going to remove you. But when I prune you is to get more fruit. So uh, it's ultimately you feel this weight. You feel this weight on you. It's like, I got to produce fruit. Okay, this is a big goal. This, I mean, I got to do kingdom demonstrations. I got to do kingdom work. I got to be about the father's business. I got to be produced. How am I going to do that? And then verse four, he says, and you can't do it on your own. He immediately shows you that you will have to depend on him to produce what he's asking of us to produce. He's immediately showing this is a partnership. This is not just me giving you a command, hey, go out and do something with it. He's letting you know, by the way, you will produce nothing in and of your own accord. All by yourself, worthless. There's nothing good that's going to come from that. But if you stay connected to me, remain in me and I in you. If you remain connected, if you remain in this partnership, oh, what we can do together is what he's saying. A branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine. Neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. He goes on to say, verse six, if anyone does not remain in me, he's thrown aside like a branch and he withers. They gather them, throw them into the fire and they are burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you want and it will be done for you. My father is glorified by this, that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. As the father has loved me, I have also loved you. Remain 
in my love. If you keep my commands, you'll remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. Today, I want to uh, bring this to a close, and I want to focus on the production. How are we to produce? What does producing the kingdom look like? Remember, we started with uh, abide in me and I in you. And we understood this principle that this abiding or this remaining in him that he's wanting to help us understand, it ought to be as simple as living. Living aware of the presence of God, living aware of the voice of God should be as simple to you and I as taking breath into our lungs and exhaling it out. You do not give thought to that. I know you don't. I know you don't literally spend your entire day just working to make to get breath out of your lungs, to take air in and to breathe it back out. We, we do that subconsciously. We do that not even realizing all the work that's actually taking place when I, but yet it keeps us alive. Yet it's a very important mechanism and element of our life, is it not? To be breathing. Amen. But it doesn't draw attention. It's not something that, I, all right, I'm going to work up this next breath. Let me, let me just get this next breath. Okay, here it comes. Here. Okay, got one out of the way. All right, let's go on to the next one. Okay, I'm going to need another one here. Just a minute. Okay, let's, uh, oh, let me focus. Let me fo- stop, stop, stop. No, we, we do it so easily. And he's saying, you ought to hear my voice that simply. It should be natural for the believer to abide in me and I in him. It should be natural for the believer to hear from heaven. It should be natural for the believer. We saw that when you become born again, Being born again is not just simply a matter of being grateful and thankful for all that he delivered you from. It's about entering a journey of all that he has yet for you to become. Y'all with me? Amen. That ought to be setting people free because we have this backwards view of born again that I've asked the question for the last couple weeks. You can tell me all day long what he delivered you from, but can you tell me what he's delivered you for? And the answer is not heaven. I hope we never give that answer again. Why are you saved? So I can go to heaven. Why'd you get born again? So when I die, I can go to heaven. No, it's so much greater than that. There's a, there's a life for you to live here on this planet. And we are settling for such a subpar lifestyle, for such subpar living that God has destined so much greater for us. We saw that when we get our lives in this abiding, we become aware of him. And what I become aware of determines my desires. Now my desires come into alignment with heaven. Now I start wanting what God wants. I I start desiring what God desires. I heard a, a, a pastor say this recently. He said, if you're in prayer and you don't feel like you're uh, connecting with God or you're, you're getting responses from God, start talking about the stuff he wants to talk about. That hit home for me. Because when you start getting interested in what he's interested in, you know, a lot of our prayers are one-sided. God knows a lot about us. And what's wrong with us or what we want to see or what we need or what's coming up that we really need his help with. But have you ever just stopped to ask God, God, what's important to you? God, what do you value? God, what do you honor? God, what do you want to see in 2023? God, what do you want from me? Ask him and I promise he'll start showing it because he says that he will give you the desires of your heart. Now, for the longest time, we've translated that and we've read that as he will give you anything you ask for. But what it's actually saying is he will give you what to desire. And you'll actually find out that what I have desired doesn't mean anything. But if I can align my desires with him, all of a sudden I'll start seeing fruitfulness. I'll start seeing things show up because the very next phrase after that is when you get your prayers in alignment, It says that he will command his blessing on them. You will have what you ask for. You will receive 
what you ask for. When what? When I align my asking with his requesting. When I align my asking with what he desires. Amen. And then last week we walked through pruning as I've already come, uh, covered. But let's look at this factor of production. Because we start out, I mean, the very first statement that he makes, the very first statement that he makes in verse 2, he's talking about production. He's talking about uh, what we are producing. In verse 2, he says, Every branch in me that does not produce fruit, he removes. And he prunes every branch that produces fruit. You know what I find interesting in Jesus's uh, life in ministry? Of all the things that we see in his ministry, the one thing that we have really very little insight to, that we don't see much of, is his prayer life. The conversations. And we know that he was on a mountain all night long many times. We know that he prayed to the Father. We know uh, that his prayer life was actually uh, such an important role of his ministry that his disciples, of all the things his disciples could have said, teach us how to, what did they ask him to teach them? What did they ask him to teach him? To pray. Didn't say teach us how to walk on water, teach us how to heal the sick, teach us how to raise the dead, Teach us how to turn water into wine. Teach us how to uh, calm a storm. No, what is a, the one time the disciples said, Lord, teach us, it was followed with how to pray. But yet we have very little insight. And so I was wondering, you know, I would like to know God's response. How did God respond to Jesus? What did those conversations Look like because we all know in this room that prayer is one of the most powerful things a believer has. Now you may you may not be practicing it, but you know that. We know that prayer is one of the most important things we have. But how do we get the answers to prayer? I believe that we were designed for answers to prayer. I believe we were designed for answers to prayer. We say this in Anchor Faith. We're not a church that prays. We're a church that gets answers to prayer. Your prayers were designed to be heard and to be responded to. Amen. Jesus got answers to prayer. In fact, you can't find anywhere in the word where we're taught, where Jesus taught us what to do with unanswered prayers. We're not taught to with, with, with what are we supposed to do when our prayers go unanswered. Jesus got answers to prayer. And those answers may not be in a conversation, but they're in demonstration. They're in demonstration. In John chapter 5, keep your finger in John chapter 15. Let's see if we can break this down. In John chapter 5 and verse 30. He says, I can do nothing on my own. Now that sounds really familiar, doesn't it? Didn't we just read? Unless you remain in me and I in you, you can do nothing. Did we not just read that? You can, just as a branch cannot produce fruit by itself, neither can you if you don't remain connected to me. This is what he says. He says, I can do nothing on my own. I judge only as I, here it is, as I hear, and my judgment is just because I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. I can do nothing on my own. I judge only as I hear. So Jesus obviously heard because every demonstration, every miracle, every teaching, every time he ministered, every time that he spoke, every time he showed up in any of these cities and these towns and these communities, he was doing the work of God. He was producing fruit of the kingdom. Amen. Everywhere he went. Bible says that he never uh, laid hands on someone to be healed that was not healed. 
The only time he couldn't do a miracle was in his own hometown because they were so familiar with him that they could not receive from him. It says that they were actually offended by him. And he could do no mighty work there except lay his hands on. But even the few people that he laid his hands on, they got healed. Jesus's life was full of demonstration and every demonstration was heaven's response. If you wanted to know what God thought about a situation, all you had to do was look at Jesus's life. Lord, if it's your will, I believe you can heal me. It absolutely is my will. Be healed. God's will is revealed in the ministry of Jesus. God's purpose is revealed in the ministry of Jesus. If it were God's will to heal, if it were God's will to keep people sick, if it was God's will to put sickness on people to teach them, then Jesus's ministry was full of undoing what God was doing. Then Jesus was acting in direct rebellion to his own father. And he couldn't make a statement like, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Well, I know my father put this sickness on you, but I I really would like to see you healed. So I'm going to override this one. I've got the ability to... No, we know that every demonstration of Jesus's life was only what the father said, only what the father would do, only what the father would, how the father would respond in a situation. If you've seen me, you've seen the father. I can of myself do nothing. He gave us the example of dependence. He gave us the example of what it looks like to be so linked up with heaven that your natural response, your natural response is, Lord, what you would do. Isn't that how he taught us how to pray? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus brought heaven here, produced fruit of the kingdom here because he was so synced up and so in harmony with his father that he responded every time he, he, he ministered, every time he healed, every time he delivered, this is what the father would do. This is what the father would do. Your kingdom come, your kingdom come, your kingdom come. You jump down to verse... Um, well, I want to look at this actually verse 30 in the Amplified. Let's, let's look at this real quick. John 5 verse 30 in the Amplified. He says, I am able to do nothing from myself independently of my own accord, but only as I am taught by God and I get his orders. Even as I hear, I judge. I decide as I am bidden to decide. As the voice comes to me, so I give a decision. And my judgment is right, is right, just, righteous, because I do not seek or consult my own will. Man, what if we just, what the Father said we did? He says, I don't seek or consult I don't even give myself the opportunity to look at the alternative options. I don't even weigh, well, this is what I would rather do, and this is what the Father is asking me to do. I don't even have that conversation internally. If the Father says it, I do it, is what he's saying. I do not seek or consult my own will. I have no desire to do what is pleasing to myself, my own aim, my own purpose, but only. Only the will and pleasure of the Father who sent me. And his response, his ability, his ability to do what the Father said all went back to as I hear. When I'm in prayer, I'm getting orders. When I'm in prayer, I'm hearing from heaven how to deal with this and what to do with that and where I should go and what I should say. And and that's the only thing I do, but it begins with how I hear. Your ability to obey will never exceed your ability to hear. Your ability to obey will never exceed your ability to hear. This is why this living aware 
has to be increased. This is why this understanding of awareness and this understanding of, of who I am and who he is and what my assignment is and where he's calling me to be and where he's telling me to go and what he would have me to say. The reason why this is so important is because that's the only way that I can respond to his word is if I'm putting myself in a position to hear his word. The living aware, you, you can say it this way. If abiding enhances your capacity, obedience releases your capacity. I'll say that again. Abiding enhances your capacity. By remaining connected to him is how we become fruitful. By remaining and living aware to him and to who he is, aware of his presence, aware of his word, hearing his word, now I must respond in obedience to his word. I can of myself do nothing. I don't seek my own will, my own pleasure, my own agenda, my own intentions. I don't, I don't give myself the opportunity to weigh the options is what he's saying. I directly align my actions, my beliefs, my agenda, my plans, my words with what heaven would do. If you jump down to um, verse 36 in this same chapter. He says, but I have a greater testimony than John's because of the works that the Father has given me to accomplish. These very works I'm doing testify about me that the Father has sent me. He says, the very works that I do are a demonstration to you that the Father has sent me. In essence, he's saying, what you're seeing produced from my life, what you're seeing uh, taking place in my life, what you're seeing demonstrated in my life is what the Father wants for you. That's what the father would say. That's what the father would do. If the father were here right now, he would heal you. If the father were here right now, he would rebuke you. If the father were here right now, he would challenge you. If the father were here right now, he would direct you and lead you and guide you. And what's great about this is he tells us the same thing when he goes to heaven, I will send my spirit, the Holy Spirit, and he will dwell with you, abide with you forever. And he'll do the same thing. He'll remind you of what the Father wants. He'll even show you things to come, meaning the, the Father is wanting to clue us in. The Father is wanting to direct us on where to go and what to do ahead of us. This is amazing. He says, uh, the very works I'm doing testify about me that the Father has sent me. The Father who sent me has himself testified about me. This is what he says. And he's talking to the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He's talking to the religious leaders. He says, you have not heard his voice at any time and you haven't seen his form. You don't have, here it is in verse 38, you don't have his word residing in you because you don't believe the one he sent. Now look at the very next verse. You pour over scriptures. Wait a minute. In verse 38, he said, you don't have his word residing in you. And then the very next verse, he says, you pour over the scriptures. Well, wouldn't pouring over the scriptures put his word in me? So apparently we're not talking about the action. We're talking about the heart. Apparently, he's helping us see that the activity, the religious activity, the religious activity of reading this and going there and listening to that, we're not removing the activity. We're getting the right heart behind the activity. Hello, he's not telling us not to read and pour over scriptures. He says what? Study to show yourself approved. He's not telling you you don't need to go to church. No, he's saying, even as the day draws near, especially as the day draws near, do not abandon, do not neglect uh, coming together in one accord, corporately. He's obviously not discouraging us from pouring over scriptures. He's letting us know if you do it with the wrong heart, you're not going to get the result from it. 
You can do all the religious activity you want. You can sing all the songs. You can attend all the services. You can listen to all the podcasts. You can read all the scriptures. But if you have the wrong heart, you're never, come to, you're never going to come to the conclusion I intended for you. You're just going to fill yourself with a lot of religious activity. And then you're going to end up in toiling and striving. Have you ever noticed that a, a tree doesn't do all this crazy work to produce fruit. Fruit is the natural production of abiding. You don't have to claim it. You don't have to fast over it. You don't have to do all this striving and all this work. It's the natural production of remaining in him. It's the natural response. If I remain in him and he remains in me, I'll produce fruit. And by this, my father is glorified. Well, that was Jesus's life. He says, you don't have the word residing in you. The the, the miracles, signs, and wonders came out of Jesus's life naturally. In fact, guys, you won't even find a time where Jesus prayed over someone to be healed. Not the way we do it. There's no striving. There's no toiling. He just commands it and it goes. He didn't have to drop to his hands and knees and, 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 and you know, get, get into a big, you know, hissy fit when that storm showed up. And, and he just said, he just got on the edge of the boat and said, peace, be still. And a calm came over. Do you see how easily Jesus got things done in his ministry? And that's our example. Why? Because he was abiding with the Father. And the natural response of abiding is production. That's what I want you to see today. It's the natural response. Producing fruit comes naturally to those that abide in him and he in them. If we are lacking in the production of fruit, we're probably lacking in the abiding in him. It's the abiding. It's the remaining in. It's really not a fruit issue. It's a root issue. It's what you're connected to. And I'll go one step further. You're always producing from what you're connected to. If you're producing fear, you're connected to fear. If you're producing hate and bitterness, you're connected to hate and bitterness. If you're producing offenses and hatred, you're connected to something that's fueling offensive uh, offenses and hatred. If you're producing uh, anxiety and worry, you're connected to something that's producing anxiety and worry. How do you get the peace of God? The peace of God comes to those whose minds are stayed on him. What's that? I'm rooted and now I'm just drawing on what I'm rooted in. Now I'm just drawing off of what I'm rooted in. He says, the, the, the natural production in my life comes because I abide in him. I can of myself do nothing. And I only do, I only judge, I only say what he told me to say. I'm a direct reflection. The fruit on the tree on the outside is a direct reflection of the seed in the ground that's out of sight. I don't need insight into Jesus's prayer life. I don't need to know what that conversation looked like. Really, one of the only times we see his prayer life is in the Garden of Gethsemane. And exactly what does he say in that passage? Not my will, but your will be done. That's really the only time we see him communing with the Father. And let me just go one more step. You look like you're really entertained right now, so I think I can take you there. You seem to be getting this. On that boat, the storm arises. Jesus is in the boat asleep. The disciples are going crazy. They go and they wake Jesus up in the bottom of the boat. And they cry out to Jesus and say what? Lord, save us. Do you not care, they even said, that we're about to perish. We're about to die out here. You're just off over there sleeping. You're the one that told us, go to the other side. You said, let us go to the other side. So we're out here because you, we obeyed you. 
And now this storm's about to tear us apart. We're not going to make it to the other side. Lord, save us. Now, what is prayer? Just at the end of the day, what is prayer? It's us talking to. So in essence, this is the disciples' prayer. Lord, save us. They're talking to Jesus. This is a conversation between the disciples and Jesus. We would, we would qualify that as prayer. He says, he gets up on the edge of the boat, says, peace be still, storm calms, turns back around, and what does he say to his disciples? Oh, ye of little faith. How would you like to pray to God for a situation? And his response is, don't you have enough faith? Now, faith in what? They obviously had faith that Jesus could do something about it. But he said, oh, ye of little faith, because they didn't believe that they could do something about it. I'm stretching our prayer life because our prayer life is not just going to God with every problem we have down here. Our prayer life is going to God and saying, God, what would you want to do in this situation? Then I walk out of the prayer closet with, I'm ready to go to battle. I've been told what to do. I can speak to that storm and it's got to stop. I can speak to that issue and it's got to change. I can speak to those challenges and, the, and confront them and bring the kingdom to that. And hell's gates cannot stand against the kingdom of God. So our prayer life, that is only a matter of going to God with every problem we have. Jesus responds to those prayers with, don't you have enough faith that you can do something about it? Come on, I want to empower you today. I want to challenge us. The fruit of the kingdom. Jesus didn't do all he did on that cross and suffer all he suffered so that we'd have to run to him every time we need something. No, he did all that to make you just as powerful and dynamic and just as much as of a problem for the enemy as he was when he walked this earth. Oh, you didn't hear me. I said, you should be just as much of a problem for opposition, for the devil, for the kingdom of darkness as he was. The devil should be just as afraid of you when you walk in the room as if Jesus walked in the room. There should be no difference. There should be no difference. You show up on the scene knowing who you are, knowing what you have, knowing what you've been assigned, ready to produce the will of the Father in the earth, and the devil is running in the in straight opposite in, in terror and in horror. That's the way it ought to be. Amen. So Jesus lived this way. Jesus was our example of this dependence on the Father. Not in my own ability. Not what I can do. But in John, uh, Joshua chapter 1. Joshua chapter 1. This is how the Father has set it up. Of all the ways the Father set this thing up, He set it up where He is directly connected to, tied to what you do in the earth. Well, God's sovereign. He can do whatever He wants. No, He can't do whatever He wants. No, He cannot. If He would do whatever He wants, then He would do whatever He wants. I believe there's a verse in the Bible that says, God wishes that none would perish, but all would come to repentance. Does the, does the Bible not say that? Well, then why don't we have that if God would do whatever he wants? Because if you serve a, a sovereign king that violates his own word, hello? God can do anything that his word says he can do. And he refuses to do anything that his word does not say he will do. God is sovereign, yes, but he's only sovereign to one thing, his word. And once he speaks it, once he declares it, he will not go back on it. He will not. He values his word so much so that he is, he makes sure 
It can never be compromised. You can never doubt him at his word. You will always be able to stand on, trust on, rely in, depend on his word. It will never fail. It is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he's not showing up all of a sudden in 2023, changing his mind about stuff and saying, well, I know I said that in my word, but, but you know, I understand it's a little difficult and the standards are different now. And I understand that, you know, you don't think you can do everything I call it, so let me just step in and do it for you. No, he's not doing that. He refuses to do that because if his word is brought into question, everything's brought into question. Y'all with me? And so he set this thing up in a way where I'm always going to work in the earth through man. I'll always work in the earth through mankind. I will never do anything in the earth without using a man, period. So in Joshua chapter one, The Lord commands Joshua, only be strong and very courageous that you may observe to do. There's that obedience factor that you may observe to do according to all the law, which Moses, my servant commanded you do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left. Why? Because distractions will compromise your ability to respond to my word. You don't have to go any further than Genesis chapter three to learn that. I bet Adam and Eve wish they had that verse. Why couldn't we have had the verse that said, don't turn it from it to the right or to the left? But they did. They turned to a conversation with the snake, with the serpent who came to do one thing. The, the, the temptation that the enemy brought was not to eat fruit. The temptation that the enemy brought was to question God's word. Did God really say? And honestly, that's where the enemy starts with every temptation. Did God really say? Did God really say that that's wrong? Did God really say that if you do that, that this will take place? Did God really say? That's really ultimately what he's doing with every situation in our lives questioning and challenging the word of God. And that's why God won't go back on his word because he knows he has an enemy out there just waiting for God to fail at one promise, waiting for God to fail at one command, waiting for God to fail at one blessing that he's promised your life. No, he says, do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left that you may prosper wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth but you shall meditate in it day and night. In essence, you can say this, you shall abide in it. You shall remain in it. Abide in me and my words abide in you. Meditating day and night is the abiding of the believer. And if we would abide in his word, live in his word, meditate on his word day and night. Uh, In Psalms chapter 119, verse 11, David said, your word, have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you? Where I put the word will either compromise or help my ability to respond to it. If I don't place value on the word, I cannot respond to it in obedience. If I don't treasure the word, value the word, if I don't uphold his word above everything else, then I can't abide by it. I can't produce the fruit of it. You only produce the fruit of the word to the degree that you treasure it and value it. I said, you'll only produce the fruit of the word to the degree that you treasure it and value it. Period. We've got to honor and treasure the word. He says, meditate in it day and night. That's a long time. Day and night that you may observe to do. So the doing is tied to the abiding. The application of the word is tied to the value of the word that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous. Then you will have good success. So back over to John 15. 
Jesus' life reveals the power of a yielded connection. Now, I want to show you this in verse... Let's pick up with verse 8. Pick up with verse 8. Hallelujah. My Father is glorified by this, that you produce much fruit. Guys, if our fruit doesn't match, it doesn't say the Father is glorified when you sing songs and lift your hands. It doesn't say the Father is glorified when you do this or, or all, any. No, the Father is glorified when we're producing fruit for the kingdom of God. Staying fruit. My Father is glorified by this, that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Remain in my love. Now watch this. If you keep my commands, a great place to start with this is to stop treating this book as suggestions and start treating it as commands. Now, I'm going to clarify this for everyone that thinks I just uh, entered over into works and thinks that, you know, honoring God's word as commands, valuing God's word as commands is just a little too harsh. We'll clear that up in a middle, in a minute. But, but first, we need to start with understanding that these words in here, they're not suggestions. There's really never an option. Now, he gives you the option because that's how love works. God would rather you respond out of love rather than obligation, right? That's that's the whole element of Genesis chapter 3. I'm giving you every direction. I've given you every resource. I've given you my word. Do not eat the fruit of that tree. But now you have the opportunity. You have a decision to make. You can choose another way if you'd like. Because for you to prove that you love me and for you to show me and demonstrate your love to me, you've got to do it by choice, not because I force you to. It's not love if you have to do it. Right? Anybody in, in, a, in, a, in a marriage or a friendship or any relationship of that nature, you want people to do things for you out of obligation. Well, because we're supposed to. Well, if you say so. No, nobody wants a relationship. Obligation is the lowest form of commitment. You might, you might do that for an employer, but you can't do that for your spouse. And I'll be honest, God's word is very clear. If you treat your employers that way, you're not, you're not working as unto the Lord. You're working as unto man. And you're breaking a kingdom principle. And just because they pay you every two weeks, you're showing up and you're doing something. Okay. You can laugh. It's all right. Just just smile. Just smile. Just let your face convince the rest of your, your body He's preaching good, but he's preaching hard. And I don't know if I want to hear that right now at 1141 on a Sunday morning. I hope you wrap this up in the next 19 minutes. Okay. Okay. Verse 8. No, verse 10. Verse 10. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love just as I have kept my Father's commands. What's he saying? I'm not telling you to do anything I'm not doing. My life is a demonstration of what this looks like. Just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. All right, now let's get to this. Verse 11. I have told you these things so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. His response for them is, I want you to be joyful. I want you to be excited about this. I want you to have hope for what's coming. I'm not telling you this to be downtrodden as a subject. 
I'm not telling you this so that you can just, all right, we're just going to work the daily grind. We're trying to produce fruit for the king. Just try to live the best life I possibly can. No, he's trying to say, man, this is the best life that you'll ever find. Obedience to God's word is always the right response. It will always produce the greatest fruit and the greatest benefits in your life. Now watch what he says this in verse 12. This is my command. Love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this to to lay down his life for his friends. There's a word. For his friends. And look what he says in verse 14. You are my friends. Everyone say it. Say friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. (laughs) That sounds like a weird statement. You can be my friend as long as you do what I tell you to do. That sounds like, you know, two kids in kindergarten, you know, and and, and that sounds like a kind of conversation that they would have with one another. We can be friends as long as you uh, do what I want you to do, as long as you go where I want you to go. But I want us to see something because, guys, again, we cannot define terms on our level. What did Jesus mean when he said friends? Did he mean the same thing you and I mean when we say friends? Did he mean the same thing as, you know, uh, typically, especially today, when we talk about friends, we would... Uh, quickly identify, and I know nobody in this room would have this definition because you're all smarter than that. I know that. I'm talking about people out there, the people that didn't come this morning. Friends today are typically people that side with you no matter what, tolerate your deficiencies, don't challenge you to grow, don't address the problems and issues in your life. Come on. Friendship today is As long as you'll be sympathetic with me, as long as you'll always take my side, even when you know I'm straight up wrong, come on, we know we don't really want friends that way. Anybody want a friend that will tell them, tell it, tell it to you how it is, even if they make you mad, that will put your friendship on the line to see you succeed instead of sympathize and pet your flesh to see you continue to fall into a challenge. Anybody want those kind of friends in life? I got like, you know, that's a very low percentage. I don't know how many people are in this room. Let's say uh, there's 200 people in here and I got like six. We need some real friends. I said, we need some real friends, not Facebook friends, fake book friends. They're not your friends. If they won't tell you how it is, they're not your friend. Jesus says, I no longer, or he says, uh, uh, you are my friends. If you do what I command, we're going to find out why this is important. Look at verse 15. I do not call you servants anymore. Why? Why? Because a servant doesn't know what his master is doing. We're talking about abiding. We're talking about living aware. We're talking about knowing things that were difficult to know before. We're talking about discovering things that God wants you to discover. We're talking about coming into things that before were mystical and mysterious and and we had kind of written off like, uh, you know, God's just some distant. No, he's saying, I want to be brought near if you'll remain in me and I in you. And now he says, I do not call you servants anymore because a servant doesn't know what his master is doing. I have called you friends because I have made known to you everything I have heard from my father. Now, this is the difference. A servant is a subject. Sometimes it's voluntary. Sometimes it's involuntary. Sometimes you're subjected to follow and obey a command because that's what I'm supposed to do. But it's not really out of, you, you, you serve a boss differently than you would serve a friend. But this word friend, it denotes this. This word in the Greek denotes cooperation. 
oh, now we're getting somewhere. Now we're finding out, guys, this is the biggest difference. A servant does work for God. A friend does work with God. A servant will work for God. God, I'm doing this all for you, all for you, all for you. But a friend now steps into the process and says, me and you, we're doing this together. I need you and you need, it's a life of dependence. It's a, see, obedience is tied to dependence. I'm obedient to the command because I depend on him and he's depending on me. I know you don't like that talk. God's depending on us. Absolutely he is because he wrote it that way in Genesis 1 verse 26. Let them rule. Let them have dominion. Let them manage. Let them control. Let them oversee the earth. And now God isn't just wanting to give you a bunch of rules and don'ts and do's and a task list. He's wanting to say, will you come in, come, will you come into alignment with me? Will you see my mission the way I see the mission? Will you want what I want for the same reason I want it? Will you come and abide with me? Will you connect with me? Will you partner with me? And let's do this together. Let's see the kingdom come together. Let's see his will be done together. Jesus wasn't working in subjection to the Father. Jesus was working in cooperation with the Father. You will never have another issue obeying a word of God or a word from God when you recognize that the word is for your benefit, that the word is to lead you into an abiding partnership. A yielded connection. Father, whatever you want. Jesus, whatever you want. He's letting the disciples know, you have come to know some things that others don't know. A friend knows. Uh, in, in, in essence, it's a removing of the veil and say, this is why I'm calling you to do this. This is the purpose for the assignment. This is the purpose for the, the command. I'm cluing you in into something that nobody, nobody else gets to see what's back here. I'm showing you. And no longer are you servants just merely obeying out of obligation or obeying because that's my master and I'm the servant and this is how this thing works. Now we're friends. Now we're doing this in tandem. Now we're connected. Now our heart, my heart is your heart. Your heart is my heart. We want the same things. We desire the same things. We're going the same places. No longer are you mere servants subjected to a word. You're a friend cooperating with the word. That's why he says, since we're friends, obey my command. Because we're doing this together. It doesn't work. It does not work. There's actually, there's actually a military context that we're going into battle. We're out on an assignment and you've got my back and I've got yours. And you know your part and I know my part. And we're working in tandem. It doesn't work if, if we start going rogue, guys. It doesn't work if we get off. It doesn't work if we start deciding to do things our way. It doesn't work if, if, if we're coming up on the will of God for our life. And he begins to reveal the plan. And we say, well, I don't really like that geographical area. Well, I didn't realize I was going to have to get up that early. I didn't really want to do that assignment. I'm not really into that. And God's saying, I'm not asking you. I'm, we're going on a mission. There's a mission out in front of us. We've got to start defining terms, by the way. God defines terms. And if we don't like the term that we see in the Bible, as it correlates with our term, then we have to repent. That's all there is to it. Father, I repent. You're not looking for a buddy. You're not looking for a friend to just go places and hang out with. You're not looking for someone just to shoot the breeze with. This is cooperation. We're working together. This friendship is still mission-minded. This friendship is still, there's a bigger goal to accomplish. There's a bigger assignment out front. And we need to work and partner together to see it accomplished. Amen? You go from doing something for God 
to doing something with God. Look what verse 16 says. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you. I appointed, I directed, I assigned you to go and produce fruit and that your fruit should remain. So that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. That's the second time in this passage we have seen whatever you ask will be given. Whatever you ask will be given. Why? Because we're in partnership. We're friends. Meaning that I will now supply to you. In the Bible, in the Old Testament, if you really understand covenant, this was one of the key elements of a covenant. Of a covenant. What is mine is yours, and what is yours is mine. Jesus didn't lay down his life so we could keep living our life. He laid down his life so that we would lay down our life to take up his life. And all is shared commonly and equally. That's a covenant. That's a covenant. Marriage covenant, same thing. I know we like to joke that wives, what is mine is mine and what's yours is mine. And But no, in a covenant, it's all one. Nobody owns anything. And so he says, guess what? You're going to give me your obedience. You're going to follow my commands. You're going to lay down your life for me, just as I have laid down my life for you. And then he says, guess what? When you ask the Father for something in my name, it's yours. If it's necessary for the mission, if it's necessary uh, for us to accomplish what we're called to do, if it's necessary for us to bring the will of the Father to the earth, to bring his kingdom, to let it come, let his will be done on earth as it is, if it's necessary, it's yours, whatever you need. Our church last year, we embarked on some pretty big things. We just purchased all this property here. But guess what? There's greater needs. And there's more provision necessary to make it happen. I'm having conversations right now that are, that are way beyond our bank account, way beyond my experience, way beyond my expertise. But guess what? I'm not worried about it one bit because I'm in partnership with heaven. So I go into that as if all of heaven is mine. It's just not in my bank account yet. But all we need is a transfer. Come on. I said all we need is a transfer. All of heaven is yours. Your God, your creator, your king walks on streets of gold. What are you concerned about? Come on. He created the body. He knows how to heal it. He knows how to restore it. He knows how to put it back together. Come on. The God of peace knows how to bring you the peace of God. There's nothing in this earth that I'm lacking when I recognize the one that I'm partnered with I, see, a servant doesn't own what the master owns, but a friend does. You're in covenant with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Every battle he wins, you've won. Everything he conquers, you conquer. Every fight you go into, you go in with heaven backing you. I give you one better. Jesus goes before you and makes the way. Now you, we just have the step of stepping out in obedience. But obedience becomes much easier when I recognize I'm in covenant. And the only reason he's asking me this is because he wants to see his will accomplished through this situation. And whatever I ask, as long as I'm in alignment with heaven, heaven's going to show up. I said heaven's going to show up. Man, I'll tell you what, this is a year where our awareness increases, our capacity increases. Our ability increases. Not just your ability, but your, but God's ability to flow through you and work with you. This is a year we partner with heaven like we've never partnered with heaven. This is a year that we don't back down from anything God is calling us to do. Any addiction he's laying you, he's asking you to lay down. Any step that he's asking you to take, any, any, any venture he's asking you to go into, 
This is the year because of our awareness of heaven, our awareness of his command, our awareness of his provision. I want to be more aware of what heaven has than what's in my current bank account. I want to be more aware of what heaven has than what my body tells me in the morning. I want to be more aware of what heaven has than just this natural world around me. Every situation, worship team, if you'd come, every situation we walk into, every worship team, uh, every, uh, every worship team, that means move. I just gave you two commands. I didn't even recognize I was giving you another command. Hallelujah. No, they're doing a great job. I'm just getting tongue-tied up here. Every situation, every situation, we're going to command the kingdom of God because I'm aware of it. I'm living aware. I'm living aware this year. Come on, just say that with me. Say, I'm living aware. Say, I'm living aware of the kingdom. I'm living aware of the spirit. I'm living aware of his power. I'm living aware of Christ working through me, Christ working with me, Christ's power upon me, his anointing upon my life. Father, we thank you that you are directing, guiding, leading every step of the way. That you are a friend that never leads closer than a brother. Father, may we understand that this is not a friend that just pets us on the back every time we mess up and fail. This is a command. This is a friend that is commanding and leading and guiding us into utter provision of the kingdom of God. Hallelujah. He's your friend. He's your Lord. He's your God, but he's your friend because you've been made aware. You've been been made aware of the assignment of heaven. You've been made aware. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast today. We trust you received a word from God. If you enjoyed this teaching, be sure to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes. By subscribing, you'll be sure to receive a new message every week as soon as they are made available. And if you'd like to learn more about Anchor Faith Church, you can stop by our website at anchorfaithbaldosta.com. There you'll find our locations and service times, ministries that are available for you and your family. You can even give financially in support of the ministry. Thank you again for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next time right here on the Anchor Faith Church podcast.